Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Tuesday morning, the 7th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. I'll end the scandal of patients on trolleys. Uh, That was what was promised in 2007 by the main opposition party. A billboard campaign making the pledge alongside the Fine Gael leader, Enda Kenny, directed voters to the party's website to see how it planned to do this. Plans have since been put in place and after almost a decade in office, Fine Gael presides over the worst hospital waiting times in history. Far from ending the scandal, of patients on trolleys that oversees a health service where the problem is worse than ever before. Yesterday, 760 people were admitted to hospital, but there wasn't a bed available for them, so they were treated on trolleys instead. The worst day ever in Irish hospitals, and it's set to get even worse, according to the Irish Hospital Consultants Association. Sinn Féin Councillor Darren O'Rourke and Fine Gael Councillor Gerry O'Connor are on the line with us uh, this morning. Good morning to you both and uh, thanks uh, indeed for joining us. Uh, It seems, Gerry O'Connor, as uh, though the hospital in Navan was overrun yesterday. Uh, The INMO says uh, there was 28 patients on trolleys. Uh, The HSE uh, is contesting that and saying there were only four patients on trolleys. What's your understanding of the situation? I I wasn't down there, so I don't know how many trolleys are there, but obviously uh, somewhere somewhere in between, uh, the people will always quote the figures that that suit them. Uh, To be quite honest, uh, there's a problem in all our hospitals. It's a very, very busy period. I mean, you know, just looking for the first 11 months of last year, 2019, the emergency departments, attendance at them were up 2.5% compared to the previous year. I know in October we tried to see put 26 million in and a further 14 million in subsequent to that. And I don't think money, throwing money out of it is, 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 is a solution. Mm. There is a service plan for 2020. It provides for recruitment of more staff and more beds, but it has to be affordable staffing level that is sustainable. Mm. The, you mentioned 2007 uh, and you mentioned Andrew Kenny, and in mm. 2007 maybe you looked at Rose, you know, he's in opposition. And uh, we had Michal Martin, who, who was uh, the minister at the time, had put in the HSE. They generated the HSE to the mm. Wales Regional Health Boards. Uh, and 2007 was Celtic Tiger. Mm. What happened in, t- in, in 2011 when the government took over, and you, you quoted 10 years, it's nine years. When the government took over in, in 2011, they found that 
public service was overspending by 20 billion a year. Yeah, but if you look at the Fine Gael, uh, election manifesto for 2011 it says given the boost in public finances since the crash in 2008 we're now in a position to improve the situation yeah, in healthcare and people voted for Fine Gael and James Riley's policies in 2011 and here we are today with the worst figures on record Again, in 2011, we weren't in control of the finance of the country. We were after bringing in the Troika. Michal Martin brought in the Troika. They were here till 2013. And subsequent to that, the level of spending, money's only become level in the last, since 2016. We really only came out of the recession in 2016. And, you know, if you look at the figures, and I know... So Fine Gael were making oh, it up in 2011, were they? They were in opposition. I think I can tell you for a fact, and I know some of the ministers, including the some friends of mine who went in and when they seen the state of the departments and how all of the, the coffers had been emptied with overspending, they were in absolute shock. Absolute shock of what had happened in the mismanagement of the country for a number of years. You must remember, I mean, in public, I mean, medical cars were cut on people. There was huge cuts being put through at the time. Fia Gale didn't know until you got into, into power how bad the situation was. You must remember, we, we, we had 64 billion of, of, mm. of, of, of we had to borrow. I mean, but look at, look at the positives. In the last three years, for example, since, well, since 2018, there's been an increase of over 1,600 full-time equivalents in the public health service. With the consultant contractors actually signed now, by mid-2020, all doctors being recruited if they sign up to it can only work on public work. This is going to, it's a clear Okay, well, this is the argument, I suppose, that the Minister was making yesterday. Uh, and I'm sure, like Jerry O'Connor, there were a lot of people who understood what the Minister was saying. Darren O'Rourke, did you understand uh, why the Minister said he was proud of his record in health? I, I found it incredible, actually, to, to, to hear that, Michael. And um, to go back to some of the, what I think are, are systemic failures within within our hospital system and many of them directly related uh, to not only to Fianna Fáil historic policy, but to, to historic Fine Gael policy and to current Fine Gael policy. Like we can talk about um, coming into government in 2011 and, and coming to terms with the, with the state finances, but the truth of it is it wasn't in 2011 when James Riley said that never again would there be 630-odd people waiting on trolleys, and in fact... We know that multiple times we've 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 surpassed that. He was very familiar uh, and well settled into his position as the, the minister for health at the time. We know too that when Fine Gael had decisions to make in relation to managing state finances, that they made direct decisions that Im- that impacted on the ability of our health services to to to, to deliver. Um, they made decisions in relation to consultant pay. They made decisions in relation to FEMPI cuts that have direct impact on, on, on our health services and on our hospital services. They made decisions in relation to general practice, and that has been hollowed out. They made decisions in relation to community care, in relation to home health hours. And you can see that the huge unmet need is causing this, what, what's now become a, a, a normalised crisis but it's not normal by any set standards at all. It's not normal that we have the, the amount of people on outpatient waiting lists. It's not normal that we have the, that amount of people on, on hospital trolleys. It's by international standards, we are a complete out, outlier. We have a huge capacity problem 
in our health service. Mm. We have, we're, there's a shortage of beds. As we have had for 20 years plus, but uh, as we uh, approach uh, the next general election, Gerry O'Connor uh, 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 has told us, as we've been told previously and undoubtedly will be told for many years to come by people from all political parties, there is a plan to solve it. Sanskar. Hello? Yes, Slanchikar, who yeah. said that? Slanchikar is the plan, and it's, it has all the complete backing. But Finnegale will never fund Slanchikar. Well, well, we have an election coming up, yeah. uh, so whoever is in government is going to have to fund it. The one thing we have done is... You can't do it on promised tax cuts, Jerry. You we can't do it on promised tax cuts, which is exactly what Leo Varadkar is doing at the minute. He's promising tax cuts. The only party, I would say, that's going into the next general election promising general large scale tax cuts for people and, and, and income tax and across the board you, 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 I, it's, I don't, I don't think it's a large scale uh, Darren. I think what they are is you mentioned Sempi earlier on Sempi was an emergency measure that was put in and it's been restored to all the pub, public sector over a number of years as the state could afford it but it hasn't for GP it hasn't but we have we have, have got we've got it, it, plan 2040 we have a capital plan we have a spending plan and we have Slantacare. But you and had another it. plan, which was to make everybody in the country have private health insurance. Of course, there was, yeah. Different ministers had different plans. It didn't mm. work. I mean, first of all... Well, it didn't we're happen we're, anyway. We're, we're, it doesn't matter who's in government. It didn't happen because it was a daft plan, uh, uh, but it, it didn't happen. Fine. Fine, but the reality is the HSE is broken. The HSE is, is more money to be put... That's what James Riley said, and people voted for James Riley to dismantle the HSE, uh, well, and he didn't. That's what Slanchikar is going to do. That's what Slanchikar is going to do. And it has full to support from all parties. And even Darren would agree that it's the way forward. All the consultants agree. All the doctors' unions agree uh, that it's the way forward. Mm. Uh, so, so there is a plan there that has consensus. It doesn't matter who's in government. The reality is there's a plan there. But it's, James Riley, just, James Riley wrote the Finnegale plan and when he went to implement it, uh, it needed to be undone. Uh, and now you've come up with another plan. James Riley hasn't been a TD since 2014. Yeah. 20, sorry, 2016. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's been, there's been new ministers in place mm. since then. And they've taken a different approach by way of, instead of uh, leading, uh, of having a discussion with all the, the stakeholders to come up with a plan, which is Slanticare. Mm, yeah. And Slanticare will work once it's funded, but it'll only be funded... But didn't you, we, did you not tell us in 2011 that James Riley's plan would work? I can't remember. Uh, ah, well, I'm sure you did. Uh, Michael, I don't think you were talking to me in 2011, to yeah. be honest. But uh, I'm sure that you would have supported uh, Fine Gael's healthcare plans. I mean, it was one of the reasons Fine Gael won the election. Well, Michael, you know something? I've been supporting Leeds United for the last 50, 51 years. I don't pick the team and I don't pick the tactics and I don't get to, to, to uh, put out uh, the, 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 the manager. The reality is I support Fine Gael. I'm a Fine Gael uh, Councillor, mm. and I don't agree with everything that they do, but I will say in relation to this, we cannot continue to keep doing things the way we're doing it. We've an aging population, mm. uh, and, and that's one of the factors. We've had a very, very mild winter, and that has helped. The winter both started earlier. That hasn't helped. We, we The planning by the HSE is, is getting, I mean, it's not very easy to blame the minister, but we have people getting paid serious money in the HSE, and they didn't see a flu epidemic coming. Well, I'm sure they did. I mean, there's a flu well, epidemic every year, uh, and every year the health service says uh, that it's underfunded uh, and that it hasn't got the capacity to to, de- to deal with uh, the amount of people uh, that it needs to care for. 
Well, part, part of, and, and Darren did mention the consultants, part of the reason of the new consultants deal is to take some of the private procedures being, being done in public hospitals, which will, given, given, given time, allow additional capacity and reduce waiting mm. But there's no, there's no quick fix, Michael, and I'm not going to tell you that there is a quick fix. Well, no, well, we uh, have a problem. Of course, there isn't a quick fix. Uh, that's why we've been talking about this problem that we have for uh, at least 20 years uh, at this stage. Darren O'Rourke, Slanchikara uh, has often been cited uh, as being the fix, uh, whether it's a quick fix or a slow fix. It's one that would require uh, people to pay additional taxes, uh, and that's not going to happen, uh, I don't think, in the near future, is it? Well, I think th- there's a couple things in relation to Slauncher Care. I think Slauncher Care is the solution. In fairness, it, it wasn't the Fine Gael initiative to, to, to develop the Slauncher Care plan, and I think credit goes to, to the people who are who are on that committee and, and um, I suppose, in, in, in fairness, um, uh, short of the of the of the Social Democrats. Um, it's a cross-party uh, policy, um, and it has agreement. But the the truth of it is. We need to be very careful that it doesn't become a convenient cover for Fine Gael to be able to stand behind and say, yes, we have a plan and it's out there somewhere in the future. Sponsor Care has made a number of demands of government. Mm. Not all of them have been met. Now, what about the funding, though? Sinn Féin wants to increase taxes in order to fund Sponsor Care. Is that right? No, well, and, and I, you know, I, I presume our party will develop a manifesto that will be that will be quite detailed. But but there's there's a, um, I, I think there is a, a general case, and I think it's fair enough. If you look across the mm. public sector in terms of of healthcare and transport and trains and all that sort of stuff of, of the need for quality public services. And okay, but if you're out. to increase funding to the health service by four billion euro a year, surely it follows that you're going to increase taxation. No, well, well, one of the things I would say is, in fairness to the government, um, uh, Jerry O'Connor mentioned it there, they are throwing money at the health service. Um, the, the, the budget has increased from £13 billion to, to £18 billion in, in nearly as many years. That's a, a spectacular amount of money. So, so before we do anything, I think there are very significant uh, savings, that efficiencies that can be delivered within the, within the health service. And I think primarily they're related to our crazy two-tier health system where you have this, uh, you know, unprecedented mixture of public and private. Yeah. In, in essence, mm. you know... 20 so so, so, so the public patients would be seen uh, uh, on a, a par uh, with uh, private patients. Uh, and in order to do that, uh, you need more money, don't do you not? Well, 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 well for initially, I don't think you do. What you need to do is, is you need to, and, and in fairness, the minister has a proposal around 100% public uh, consultant contracts. Uh, like if you, if you look at the, the system as we have, 20% of what we're putting into it as, as taxpayers um, is being leaked out of it because of the, the nature of, of, of the, the reliance of the private system. Mm. Not, not on the private system, but the reliance of the private system. But the problem isn't the, the private system. The pri- pro- pro- problem is uh, the oh, public the- system. And as you say, people are not being seen quick enough. Uh, so if they're b- to be seen quicker and treated quicker, uh, you, surely you need to, to put more money after it. Well, well, bef- like some of the money that, and, and this was in this launch of care proposals and fairness. Yes, it, it requires additional money. Let's be clear in relation yeah, to that. So where are you going so to get much, it? But, but some of that additional money comes out of the inefficiencies within the system. So, for example, the, the, the 300 million that's used to prop up the, the private health insurance uh, industry at the minute, you know, the, the tax subsidy that goes to every euro you put into your, your premium. So you don't believe that you need to increase taxes? 
Oh no, no, you do. You do. I, I, I said that, Michael. Let's be very clear, and mm. I, I'm unapologetic in relation to it. Taxes will need to be increased in relation to this, and, and Sinn Fein has a suite of proposals on how they would do that in terms of high earners uh, and, and 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 all the, and you know other insurance measures. But two tier system. So no, no not a two tier system. Not not a two tier. You're system. talking about you're talking about hitting high earners. You're talking about penalising people. Uh, who uh, with, with further taxation? We're talking about a progressive. Same people, by the way, people who are pay, who are working get sick, go to hospital in, into public wards, go into emergencies as well. So how is it? How is it fair? You're creating a two-tier system. How is it? It's a progressive tax system, Jerry. Is, is what we're talking about. And, and in fairness, it's it, not, it's, 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 not, it's a self, it's self, and it's a wealth tax. And you see the, the Sinn Fein proposals in relation to wealth tax, which takes in people's domicile. As, as part of calculation in relation, no, in, in relation to their wealth. They're, they're home. Doesn't in fairness, we dropped a proposal in relation to a wealth tax a number of years ago because the Department of Finance, it was such a radical proposal that they couldn't even countenance the idea of calculating it. So in our fully costed pre-budget submission, we didn't include it, not because it's not something more ambitious, for, okay, but we're because, getting... because the idea is is, uh, is so radical for, for, for a Fine Gael government or for the Conservatives within the the political establishment in Ireland that they couldn't even calculate it. Okay, well what we do know is that there is a real problem. I think that there's an agreement on that and uh, far too many people who are waiting on treatment in hospitals and once again this morning. We have to leave it there for the moment though and thank you both indeed for joining us around the programme. Jerry O'Connor, Fine Gael Councillor in Meath and Darren O'Rourke a Sinn Féin Councillor in County Meath as well. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, yesterday, 100 chief executives in the UK earned more for a day's work than most workers will earn over the course of this year. This is according to the High Pay Centre Think Tank and the Chartered Institute for Professional Development in the UK and a stat that has been highlighted to us today by the Irish Congress of Trade Unions. Laura Bambrick, Social Policy Officer with ICDU, joins us once again. And a very good morning to you, Laura, and thanks for joining us. Uh, it's clear, it seems at least, uh, that uh, there's a similar situation there to the one here, which you highlighted in your report last month because we're worth it, the truth about CEO pay in Ireland. Yes, so Congress uh, last month published the fourth in our annual reports looking at CEO pay in publicly listed companies. Now, publicly listed companies, for listeners that aren't aware, are those companies that are on the stock exchange. So we looked at 26 of the biggest Irish companies, 20 of them on the Irish Stock Exchange and six Irish-based um, companies that are, are on the London Stock Exchange. And we looked at how much the C, C, uh, chief executives are earning and uh, the overall amount they're earning and the different components because CEO payment is made up of different parts. It's made up of their basic pay, which can in fact be a very small proportion of their pay, then their pension contributions, their uh, share options, which is the biggest area of their pay, and then benefits in kind. So we looked at how this is doing and how this compares to the average worker. 
Mm. And what we found is that 20 of those 26 bosses earn over a million euro and as much as 8.6 million euro. And this compared to what the average worker was earning, uh, that was 36,000, 38,000, excuse me, 38,000 in 2028. Okay, and you took a a reverse methodology, if you like, to the approach taken in the UK, where they found that yesterday uh, CEOs were earning what it'll take people a year to earn, uh, whereas uh, a year's salary for a CEO here, uh, uh, certainly in CRH, uh, would take 212 years to earn as much. Absolutely. So it's looking at the same issue, the worker-to-boss pay ratios. But as you mentioned there, the UK research, they look at how many hours it would take the boss to earn as much as the ordinary worker is earning in a year. And they said, well, a boss doing 11-hour day, it would take them 33 hours so three working days to earn what a worker in the UK is earning. Mm. We look at the same information, but instead we look at how many years it would take that worker to earn what the boss is earning. So it's the same calculations, but it's presented in a different way. And are we talking about all earnings? Are we talking about pay and benefits, in other words? Pay and benefits for for the... Um, for, for the bosses, in recent years, what we've seen is as the gap between what bosses and these big companies are earning, uh, as that gap has got wider and wider, and um, where this has been driven is because of the share options. Share options has become a more significant part of the pay makeup of the uh, of chief executives. So you might think, well aren't bosses brought in, isn't, isn't that their job mm. to make the company more valuable? And if the company is more value, the share option rises. And so they get a cut of this payment. And so that's the argument of uh, why they're paid this amount and why their uh, pay is linked to that share option. But one of the 26 companies that we research was a company by the name of Tullo Oil. And just before we released our document in December, the week before, Tullo Oil lost a billion of their share price. And to get rid of their chief executive, who turned out not to be as talented as they had said was the reason for for paying him so Mm. well, he got paid uh, many millions to walk away. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Well, (laughs) it it, it means they're saying, we have to pay this high price, you pay high Mm. price Mm. for high talent. But what we're also seeing is that these chief executives, when they don't turn out to be so talented, Mm. they're getting very well remunerated when they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, increasing the the share. Well, they've locked that into a contract that pays for success or obviously uh, on occasion for failure. For failure, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, It's a win. Okay, I suppose there's many uh, perks and benefits uh, for that matter. Shares, as you say, uh, there can be a company car, there can be health insurance uh, and pensions. uh, Obviously, uh, something uh, that uh, would be worth something to many of uh, these high earners. uh, And when you compare that with the statistics uh, from uh, the Central Statistics Office yesterday on how people do and don't have pensions in this country, it makes for interesting reading. Almost half of uh, the people working in this country, 40% of workers have no private pension. 
Yeah, so we had the pension survey released from the, the, the CSO yesterday, and that was showing that um, while six out of ten people have a second pension, so this is a pension that will allow them to top up their state pension. In fact, only half, uh, five and ten, or one and two workers are actively contributing to a second pension. They're saving for their retirement. So there will be some people that might have had a workplace pension in a former job, but now they've since gone on and left that job, so there's no more contributions going through it. So we can really only say that half of all workers today are actively saving for their retirement. And people might wonder, well, why is this really important? The importance of this is that the state pension is paid at a flat rate, so everybody gets the same presuming that you have enough contributions to, to uh, you've received. And so if you don't have this second pension to top up your state pension, you're going to have a big fall in your living standards in retirement. The state pension is only designed to keep you out of poverty, to give you the very basics in life, to make sure that you have enough money to cover your normal household bills, your heating and your food. And we know from other research that many people even struggle to do that. Mm. So if you don't have either a workplace occupational pension or private pension savings, a lot of people are going to be facing into real hardship in old age. So what these uh, CSO researchers did, they looked at how many people have retirement savings and then they looked and they asked further questions of those who don't. And those who don't, they found that half of their employers don't offer them an occupational pension. So, so, so this is in big conflict to the other research we've, uh, we, we've spoken about with, with the big bosses of the big companies yeah. getting very big pension packages where we see half of workers who don't have a second pension. It's because their employer don't offer them. But there are many cases where employers are offering uh, uh, workers a pension. And in fact, the main reason that people weren't joining it is because they never got around to. So their employer is offering them um, a second pension, uh, a facility to pay. But people just are putting off because there can be a lot of paperwork involved in it and they're just not doing it. Mm. It's not the the normal reason why we think that people are focusing. They're just not, not interested in it or they can't afford to do it. Although there was a sizable number of people that said they wouldn't be able to afford to, to save for their retirement. Okay, and uh, as the years go on, more of us live longer. It seems uh, that the population is ageing and as a result of that, the ability of the state to pay reduces and the value of the state pension reduces in line with that. And we're already seeing that now and as we've been discussing recently, people uh, are forced uh, to retire from their jobs at six. But this year they won't be entitled to the pension until they're 67 and next year until they're 68. So there's less value to that pension. Yeah, so so if anybody turns 65 after January of next year, they're going to have to wait two years before they're eligible for uh, the pension. So what we've seen in figures released over Christmas 
we've seen uh, a three-time increase in the number of people who are aged 65 who are signing on the dole. And we're going to see a big jump in this number from January of next year if governments go ahead with their plans to increase the state pension. And that's why Congress and unions, our affiliated unions, are calling on all candidates in the upcoming election to reverse this decision to increase the pension age and to enter into talks with unions on how we can look after the financial stability of the pension, ensure that the pension is going to be there for future generations and that value can be protected. But that's done in a way that doesn't come at a consequences to the individual, forcing people the indignity of having worked their life contributed, made their social insurance contributions to have to sign on the dole for two, possibly three years when the pension gets increased again to 68. What ways can we work to ensure that we have a working pension system but is not done at the cost of the dignity of individuals, pushing them into poverty in their old age. All right. Laura, thanks uh, for joining us again on uh, the programme today. Laura Bambrick, Social Policy Officer with ICTU, the Irish Congress of Trade Unions. Michael Reed on LMFM. Garda sergeants and uh, inspectors uh, from County Louth will meet in Dunleer today for the AGSI Louth AGM and Brian O'Dea, National Executive Member of uh, the AGSI is on the line. A very good morning to you, Brian, and thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. I suppose uh, this is a way of uh, taking stock at the beginning of the year. What's on the agenda for sergeants and inspectors? Well, uh, good morning, uh, Michael, and uh, thank you for the opportunity uh, to talk to you and um, to your uh, li- uh, your listenership. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot of things. First of all, I'd just like to uh, give your uh, your listeners a little overview of what the what a branch AGM uh, is. So, the, as you correctly stated, the Loud AG, branch AGM is tonight, and the Mead AGM is on Monday. So, it's very important because it gives local members an opportunity to set uh, an agenda at the national agenda by bringing motions to our annual annual delegate conference which this year takes place in Killarney and if those motions are passed at the annual delegate conference they then become policy of AGSI and then it's up to the national executive and the secretariat to pursue those policies with the relevant people such as ministers the minister or the commissioner and we can make representations and we have been successful um, on a few occasions in relation to representations we have made in, in in, in that regard. Okay, so um, this is the precursor for uh, the <coughs> national AGM in April, as you say. Correct. Uh, and correct. there's a, a number of priorities uh, that your members in Loud will be looking at. Well, the biggest, well, we'll say, for example, the biggest thing, uh, change, if you like, that's happening in Gardaí Corner is the transformation agenda that the Commissioner um, announced there last year. It probably will be the biggest change in the 100 year history of. of, of uh, in Gardaí so that um, will result in major changes in work uh, practices, and um, we in AGSI um, we're uh, on record. We're a pro-reform uh, organisation, um, where uh, we, we we have you see that there could be, there's benefits um, in the proposed model, but our focus will be on we we'll say members the issues that members have brought to us, such as 
resources such as the infrastructure to uh, facilitate members to do their job like uh, IT infrastructure um, technology which mm. I mentioned and uh, basically to give us the tools to do our job. Is it a, that, would be, a, that would be our focus. Is, is it a force that's uh, devoid of those tools uh, that is using outdated <coughs> uh, technology and old-fashioned resources? I mean, we've heard complaints uh, from rank-and-file guardy that uh, they're being uh, given stab vests uh, when they need bulletproof vests. Yeah, well, look, it would be fair to say that uh, we, particularly from a bigger pardon, from a technology perspective, we ha- it is acknowledged that we're thinking, and the inspectors has acknowledged that we are behind other police forces. Now, I know that there's efforts have been made to address, um, uh, to, for us to catch up with other police forces, such as the mobility project, which was uh, piloted in, in Limerick. Now, that would that would give significant. Um, advantages for Gardaí um, conducting operations at the roadside for example we'll give them the, the, the we can make quick checks for example for the status of the car or the driver like say for example is the car stolen is the car suspect is the car taxed is the car um, insured do they have penalty points uh, is there penalty points in existence in existence for them so heretofore members on the roadside would have to communicate with the uh, the local communication centre in, in Drogheda or Dundalk or whatever that may be to get that information. Now we can get that information. Uh, well, not, it's not, uh, it hasn't not throughout the force, but in some parts of the force, particularly the road policing units, uh, quicker. So that enables, enables us to do a job quicker and more efficiently. So that's an example of where we were behind and, and where we are catching, where we are hopefully catching up. So that's, but that's the focus mm. that we, that, 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 that our members will be focusing on basically give us the tools to do the job. Mm. Uh, Are you uh, subject to a lot of uh, public complaint? Uh, Is uh, there a perception uh, that the guards should be doing more uh, and a reality that you don't have the resources to provide the type of policing that people might expect given the challenges that you have to contend with? Well, (coughs) I don't think there's any police force or, 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 or any police officer will say that he, have, that he has that he will say that he has enough resources uh, I definitely there was uh, it's, it, it, it is on record like that uh, say for example the member, members um, in Louth uh, particularly in the Drogheda area were stretched there last year now I understand that that, that um you know, the extra resources have been put into the Drogheda area and that seems to be working well. So you you can never have enough uh, resources, but at the same time, there isn't an infinite number of resources. So it's always going to be, you're always going to have that debate, uh, Michael. Mm. And all of this requires funding, whether it's uh, updated uh, equipment or uh, better um, uh, technology or indeed uh, more people. Uh, And then there's uh, the morale of the forces as it stands and ongoing industrial relations with the public service in general. The AGSI is hoping uh, to be able to conduct itself in the way that people would consider trade unions uh, to negotiate with their employer. Well, (coughs) there's been a very important development as far as uh, AGSI has 
um, from an HSA perspective because our official status is actually a staff association. We don't have uh, the full rights, if you like, of, of a trade union. But this year, um, it's going to be an historic year for HSI because we have uh, we will have access to the Work Relations Commission on an ongoing basis from the 1st of February 2020. So... Um, basically would mean that for the first time ever that we will have access to industrial mechanisms of the state. We would welcome that uh, move and indeed uh, we as a national executive we are preparing for those changes to take place and some of our members have received training from the Workplace Relations Commission. So we see that as a major Mm. A major move in the right direction um, for uh, our staff association and for uh, so we, we, we would welcome that very much. And does that uh, move you somewhere from a staff representative organisation to something closer to becoming a, a trade union so where you can support members uh, during industrial disputes? Well, <coughs> that is, um, that is uh, perhaps a discussion I would have with you another day, Michael. Um, we don't have the right to strike um, and, and, and we, won't, we don't have full trade union status uh, and we would be a long way away from that and that's a very, very complex issue that, uh, that, that we would have to, we as a national executive uh, would need to discuss and uh, there's lots of, there's lots of uh, mm. uh, I say for example we're precluded from law uh, from becoming a trade union uh, and from going uh, for exercising the right of strike, so we wouldn't have the full, the full trade union um, um, entitlements. But we do, uh, we do represent our members um, um, on paying conditions and other matters. Okay, and what about conditions? Uh, because we've heard of uh, some uh, dire conditions and uh, a lot of complaints uh, about uh, the buildings uh, that you're working out of. Indeed, um, indeed. Like I mean, uh, I don't know what what will come up at the meetings today. But uh, just as a, um, from my experience as a national executive member, accommodation um, is a regular uh, welfare of members and accommodation um, is a regular item on the agenda, um, and that we have a. Um, a committee within the national executive who looked at, uh, at accommodation, and we are continually, continually making positive representations on behalf of our members in relation to getting better and uh, more up-to-date accommodation, um, um, more better guard stations, both to serve the public and to serve our members and guard members as well. Okay. Well, as you say, this is uh, the beginning of uh, a discussion that uh, will conclude in April at uh, the AGSI AGM in Killarney. But uh, we leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed for joining us in Loud this morning. Brian O'Day, National Executive Member of the Association of Guard Sergeants and Inspectors. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. Sean was in touch in relation to the hospital situation, says that the minister has to take responsibility for what is happening in our hospitals and the health service that the book stops with him. End of. Mm. Matthew says 10 years on and the five point plan has spectacularly falling, fallen apart. The health service and the lack of houses is a huge issue 
uh, who is doing up the plans for Fine Gael. Time for them to go, says Matthew. All right. Catherine also in touch says that she sat in A&E last Saturday from 8pm until 8am on Sunday morning before she was seen to. I actually lay on the jack- on my jacket on the floor because the seats were uncom- so uncomfortable. Saw a doctor sent home, ended up then in Bowmond on Thursday night just after midnight, sat in their A&E until 11am Friday morning. Finally got a bed in an OAP ward at 3am Saturday morning. The doctors, nurses, catering, cleaning staff, Michael, run off their feet and are getting abuse from unhappy patients. It's terrible what is going on. Our government need to get to grip. You wouldn't see one of them sitting waiting like the rest of us. And to add to all of that, Michael, I have private health care, but it doesn't make a blind bit of difference. I was on a ward with 15 other people. OK, thanks uh, for that, Catherine, was it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I hope you're feeling well, Catherine. And uh, thanks uh, for the call and telling us about your experience. Now, David Miskell is uh, the Industrial Relations Officer for the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation in the North East. He's on the line. And a very good morning to you, David. And uh, thanks for joining us here on the programme uh, this morning. We've seen a dire situation across the country. Not quite so bad locally, uh, but a pretty busy day by all accounts in Navin yesterday. Yes, certainly. Um, Navin, I think, is under... Well, I mean, all of the facilities are under a considerable pressure, uh, Navin in particular. So, uh, for example, uh, we were even this morning, in total of 24, um, we have 10 cohorts uh, in the emergency department there this morning, and then another 24 uh, in an unfunded uh, area of the hospital. Um, and in Drogheda, you know, you're running at 13 this morning, which is still considerably high and mm. it still poses a significant pressure on the staff and the service in Drogheda. So, okay, yes, so it, it, concerning. the situation in Navan, I, I take it, is actually worse than it was yesterday, is it? Yes, um, mm. it is marginally worse. Um, the situation, unfortunately, in Avon is, is posing particular challenges. Uh, one of the reasons, and it may have been the subject matter of debate uh, on the show before even, but, you know, Navan... The, the emergency department in Navin, you know, functions uh, as an emergency department 24-7. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, some of the pathways are not there. That would be in other EDs. So um, it's not, it's just not operating a full level of, of service. So that's that's one of the difficulties there. Okay, so... It relates to the the um, the move to downgrade uh, the hospital in general, but the ED was retained there. But unfortunately, all services are not available, and a lot of the pathways are not there. So, okay, or to transfigure the services, as the HSE might put it. Now, the HSE, uh, I take it, will take issue with the figures uh, that you're publishing this morning in relation to Navin. Uh, I say that because they took issue with them yesterday. You're saying there's 24 patients. Uh, uh, in a ward, but you consider them to be on trolleys uh, and an additional 10 patients in the emergency department. That's 34 patients altogether. It's Yesterday, 34 patients, so I think it is, it's important that we're clear. Like the HSC, I, I don't know why, you know, I would find it, if, if they have issue with it, they have issue with it, but they have no legitimate basis to have issue Okay, well, just to explain to people, they you, yesterday you said 28 patients, including these 24 that you're talking about, and the, the, the HSC said that that was four patients who were waiting on a, a bed, so that's the issue that they're taking with it, uh, and uh, they're not counting patients in the same way you are, obviously. Yes, no, well, we have very specific criteria for for, for what we would consider um, you know, obviously a trolley, uh, a chair, you know, transit lounges, 
um, and awaiting admission to to what would to what we would all understand to be a proper bed, specifically in relation to Navin. So this, this can't be denied. Mm. So currently this morning there are ten patients in ED. That is a, like so. Well, yesterday morning was yesterday morning, but to, to differentiate the figures for the purposes of clarity and mm. for the listeners, this morning there are ten patients. Our numbers are showing ten patients in physically in the ED department waiting uh, awaiting a, a bed. The additional 24, um, the additional 24 uh, patients are in an unfunded ward area, um, and it is divided between this particular area and the day services. But that is unfunded. So to date, that those particular patients and that particular area isn't simply not funded for staff. The management of Navin do not have the funding for that. Mm. So that is specifically the position with that. It, it's disingenuous of the, of, of the HSE to say to have issue with those numbers because we're very clear on what, on what we report. But what they must concede, and they have to concede, is that those particular patients, the 24, is not funded. Mm. And it, you can't have a, no one could have an issue with that because it's a fact. So, And I, I take it that there's little rhyme or reason to how those patients uh, are being put together. I mean, you're not talking about a, a surgical ward, for example. Uh, there's no specific allocation or system for allocating those patients there. It's just somewhere to put them, in other words. Absolutely, yes. It's, it's a place to cohort uh, cohort patients. I mean, the staff in ED in Navin, I mean, this is a, you know, a nationwide crisis. The staff in ED in Navin, you know, they, they work particularly hard. As I said, there are some nuances in Navin and um, particularly just in light of that kind of that position with uh, the, the fact that I suppose that it's some of the pathways are not there, you know, when the staff, they do their best, yeah. um, you know, when they, you know, they provide an excellent service. But uh, again, I suppose this is where you come back with the numbers. Like, I mean, even notwithstanding the Navin piece, you, you know, every, every, t- every day we report trolley figures, the HSC disagree with them. They have different figures. So it's the difference with what we're reporting is, is the actual reality. Mm. Some of the, the polygar figures that the HSE report do not take into account the things that we take into account. Yeah. Is, I mean, we're not motivated by inflating figures. Uh, we want to see the figures going down. It's not that we're, you know, the, the desire isn't to inflate figures, to, you know, for the purposes of creating a news story. It's about mm. reflecting the accuracy picture on the ground. Well, I, I think since the INMO started counting patients on trolleys, you've continuously used the same system. Uh, that did change uh, somewhat uh, when the HSE started putting patients on trolleys on wards, uh, but uh, there was this ongoing dispute for years uh, about when to count the patients, uh, and I think agreement was reached about 10 years uh, ago, uh, and both parties uh, agreed on what the actual figure would be or at what time it would be counted at. Uh, and now it seems as though we're going back Backwards in time in relation to the HSE because it's now disputing how you count patients. Yes, it is. But I mean, as, you, as you've correctly alluded to, you know, we are we're very clear. We haven't, you know, on what we count. It's a matter of public mm. record and how we count them. And it's, you know, so I mean, I will have that debate, um, you know, with any uh, representative mm. of the HSE and prepared to have it here this morning. What, what, in what, to um, why, why are there no hospital beds uh, for patients? Uh, is it because uh, of a, an outbreak of flu? Well, I, yes, I mean, the, the flu outbreak, obviously, it poses, it, it causes increased challenges, increased presentations, 
through ED, and therefore then that puts the drain on the services. But, but it's not just about, it isn't just about that. We've been consistently arguing it is about two things. It is about capacity and it is about staffing. So there was an announcement yesterday uh, by the minister in respect of increased capacity and a number of beds opening. The difficulty with it is, is where is the staff to operate th- those additional beds? Uh, and the second thing is, is what is glaringly obvious well in respect of staffing is the recruitment moratorium at the inception of this moratorium we were very clear this would have an impact on staff and it would have an impact on patient care and the patient journey through the service and and unfortunately exactly everything that we've said has been borne out on one hand we have the minister speaking about staffing and on the other hand we have a moratorium there is a recruitment moratorium in place across the, the health service executives. And that's the reality of it. So mm. I, I find that I struggle. I, I really do struggle when I hear, the, you know, the minister speak and come out and speak about staffing and deny the existence of a recruitment moratorium and speak about capacity when we, we've been arguing for a considerable yeah. length of time. Yeah, the HSE says there isn't a moratorium, but people are not being recruited, it, it would yeah, say. So, well, mm-hmm. this is the, mm-hmm. the specifics of the issue are mm-hmm. this. So the HSE will say there's a moratorium. There isn't a moratorium. Mm-hmm. And, and if you want to be very technical about it, the official term the HSE are using is called, it's an employment control mechanism. Mm-hmm. So when each of the management of the individual sites will send up what they need by way of vacancies. So now every single vacancy must go through a national office and they're not getting approval and or it's trickling in in extremely limited forms. Mm. So, so that's what they mean. They're, they're, it, there's, it's not a moratorium. It's in, they have an, the, in res- reality, the, the end result being the same thing, that uh, people are not being recruited. Okay. Yes, exactly. All right. David, I have to leave it there for the moment. Thank you, though, indeed, for joining us here this morning. David Miskell, Industrial Relations Officer for the North East with uh, the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation. Now let's go back uh, to some more of your thoughts and some of the calls that you have there, Marie. Staying with the health situation, Michael, a listener from Carlingford in County Loud. Two points to make. My wife had a serious pain in her stomach. I had to ring the ambulance. The ambulance had to come all the way from Blanchardstown, which is some distance away. She then got to hospital, but there was no bed for her. And that was last week, Michael. OK, well, that would remind you of the 900 kilometres uh, that the team in Clare travelled to, to Cork and to Tipperary that we heard about yesterday. Another listener says that the A&E in Drogheda is also under pressure. My daughter went into the hospital at 8.30 on Sunday evening, didn't see a doctor until 8.45 on Monday morning. OK, it's a long wait. Patricia says, shame on the government. It's bad enough being sick without having to lie on trolleys or the floor. Shame, shame, shame on them. Mm-hmm. Just getting to the discussion uh, you had with Laura Bambrick of the ICTU, Michael. Uh, a text from a listener who says, a typical lefty read stirring the flames about executive pay. Uh, bosses can never mentally switch off ever. This is also the case with the self-employed who are also generally despised by media and ordinary workers, whereas so-called ordinary workers in the public service, for example, are not only often work shy clock watchers, but unsackable. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, Mar- I'm sure I'm sure that's not true of the ball. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On pensions, Margaret says that if you have to leave your job at 65, it's so unfair that you end up having to go on the dole when you have worked hard all your life and says it would be very hard to get another job at that stage in your life. Mm-hmm. Ray says that carers can't afford pensions and it's a lifetime job. Okay. I'm sure uh, there's uh, a lot of people who understand exactly what that means, but uh, thanks uh, for making the point with us, Ray, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch. Thanks, Marie, for that matter. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850-715-958. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, if you don't have a TV licence, uh, you face a fine. Uh, if you park illegally, uh, you may get a, a ticket. If you don't pay the ticket, uh, you could be fined. If you don't pay the fine, you could end up in prison, or you may not. In fact, a lot of people don't end up in prison, and only 26% of fines are paid, which has led to proposals from the court service to overhaul the system for people who don't have a TV licence or don't pay their parking tickets, as the case may be. Let's talk about this with Melda Munster, who's a Sinn Féin TD in Loud and a member of the Public Accounts Committee. And a very good morning to you, Melda Munster, and thanks for joining us. Uh, they're suggesting that if you don't pay your TV licence, uh, that uh, you could have to pay more in your local property tax, or you might be able to sell your car if you don't pay a parking ticket. Yes, I mean, they were before the pack in the court service, were before the pack um, last November. And to be honest, they, they, they gave the impression that matters were in hand, you know, that they had said that there was a problem with the, the legislation, all right, but that matters were in hand and there was a meeting planned with the Department of Justice and we now know that's for mid-January mm. and they'd said that there was 90,000, I think, new fines being issued in the next few months, but things were moving along. But there was no mention whatsoever, um, either in their opening statement or anywhere else, of this talk of statewide clamping and uh, fines being turned into civil debt and talk of bailiffs or adding TV um, license fines onto people's property tax. None of that was mentioned, you know, at all. Um, it appears, I suppose, that the court service want, I, I would imagine any of the, ports, uh, the court service want to get rid of the headache of collecting fines. They want to give it to someone yeah. else. But primarily it's for, for, for them to work out how to work it out within the confines of their their office. I'd say the know. prison service is pretty fed up with it uh, as well because you do hear of people being sent to prison uh, and that means uh, that they're collected from their house by the guardie, they're brought to Mountjoy or whatever uh, and uh, they're brought through the system and about an hour later they're back out to the front gate. Yeah, well I think when this act um, was drawn up in 2014 um, it was the Fines, Payment and Recovery Act but it was... Um, brought into force in 2016 and part of the act was to, to you know, the, the removal of the threat of, of imprisonment mm. um, uh, for people who are not paying their fines. Um, and that was, you know, and that was sound in itself, you know, because um, in many cases, in some cases, certainly it meant that people that were jailed because, just because of poverty, if they couldn't afford their TV licence or that, but it was also a matter of overcrowding in prisons too but if if what we're hearing is that the legislation was rushed in 2014 you know let's not make the same mistake again with knee-jerk reaction Mm. you know if there's a problem with the legislation then it needs to be examined 
but certainly not in a knee-jerk response. Well, they were collecting more in fines in 2014 than they are today. 11 million euro was collected in 2014 and 7 million euro in 2018. Yeah, now I don't know whether, though they did say, I think, 1.5% had taken up the, you know, the staggered payments, but the fact that payments are now staggered over months or years, that could be the reason for the, the monetary figures being down. I don't know, you mm. know, but... Um, I mean, it's clear if if fines are handed down by the courts on people found guilty of offences, then they should Mm. be paid. And in fairness, most people do pay, you know, whether it's a parking ticket or that or uh, a speeding ticket, you say, or better pay it, you know, um, most people do. But certainly a knee-jerk response is not the the solution. Um, The the proposals that we've seen in the paper, I mean, the first we've, we've seen of them is what came into the paper in the last couple of days, what was printed in the papers in the last couple of days. And they certainly need a lot more teasing out and discussion and maybe even public consultation. You know, mm. I mean, the fact of putting uh, a fine that's imposed on you for not having a television licence, putting it onto your property tax. I mean, apart from the fact that they, we in Jim Fain don't support the property tax. But anyway, not every household pays that tax. So it's not a, you know... Yeah. It's, it's not a workable proposal, for example, you know, and in relation to bailiffs calling to people's houses, you know, that there's, there's, there's no need for that unless a debt was extremely large or substantial. You know, that's not. And the clamping issue, you know, clamping of cars, and you can bet your life it'll be private companies, that amounts to, to not much more than a money spinner for them. You know, there's, there's other areas you could look at but it would all have to be mm. teased out but certainly can't go down the road of knee-jerk uh, response. But there is a problem I take it. Well it, it's, it's clearly a problem but mm. I think part of the problem is that resources were not given to the court services. I mean they, they pointed out that it's not equipped but it's not equipped because they weren't given the resources. Okay. You know? And p- people also need to know that if uh, one, one of the proposals I thought could be explored would be that you wouldn't be able to sell your car until your fines are paid. Mm. That might smarten people up that, um, you know, if they thought, well, I can't if I want to get rid of the car, sell the car. Because people that aren't paying them and that aren't turning up in court, you know, that type of thing, um, that could be the only way that will force them to to pay that they can't sell their car unless their fines are, are paid. That might be something, but certainly bailiffs clamping absolutely no way like are putting it onto to people's property a tv license onto people's property tax you know that's an unworkable solution okay well as you say it's a, a problem a solution has yet to be mm. found uh, they're the proposals from uh, the court service whilst you're with us let's talk uh, about uh, the planned commemoration of uh, the ORIC in Dublin Castle on the 17th of this month Sinn Féin intends uh, to protest uh, this uh, event it's to be boycotted by three Lord Mayors uh, uh, but uh, the government says uh, that it is uh, the mature thing to do uh, and uh, to recognise our history No it's not the mature thing to do you're commemorating um, uh, this commemoration is about commemorating the 100 years of the War of Independence but should the RIC and the Dublin Metropolitan Police paid no part in the War of Independence they were the brutal enforcers of British rule in Ireland you know, the, their role was to suppress and prevent the democratic wishes of the Irish people. Hmm. That's what their role was for. But they were and Irish it, people, though, and many of them were killed. Yes, but the, the role of the RIC 
as we know, you know, <coughs> all through the years, they were brutal. They were absolutely brutal and the black and tans, you know, and it's not it's not something to commemorate. There's no there's no other state that has emerged from anti-colonial struggle where they would celebrate the deeds of the oppressors. You know, they, they imposed an oppressive regime and tried to suppress the will of the Irish people for independence and, and freedom from British rule. Mm. And that's, that's nothing. Well, they weren't the Black and Tans. They were affiliated to the Black and Tans. Well, the black, yes, but the Black and Tans were sent over as special reservists mm. to help them. You know, that's the, the, you know and the, the Black and Tans had swore the police oath as well. So they were a part and parcel of mm. it, you know. And there's many recorded cases in history, you know, with the utter sheer brutality of them when they were here, you know, that has remained in people's minds. And that's what's caused the, the, the uproar, if you like, and how the government could be so out of touch as to celebrate the oppressors of this, of this state, you know. And they, they terrorised the country into submission. That's, that was, you know, that was the, the role as a colonial force, as a colonial power, like, and... It mm. makes a nonsense out of history. Well, some, some, some people would say that they were the uh, Irish citizens who made up the police force who happened to be on the wrong side uh, of the Civil War, unlike the British soldiers uh, who uh, in, enforced uh, British rule up to 1916, when as many as 125 of them were killed during the Easter Rising. And they were commemorated at Grange Gorman Military Cemetery and there was no protest from Sinn Féin at that, was there? No, but there, I mean, the role of the RIC, you know, and the the Metropolitan Police and the, the Dublin Metropolitan Police and the the Black and Tans mm. was not um, just to act as police force. You know, they had... They had, as I said earlier, a key role, a specific role, to instill terror in the population in but, an attempt to. But this event on the 17th is Irish not to commemorate the Black and Tans. Uh, uh, oh, well, no, no, but they were part and parcel of it, and the RIC were an armed force, and they were there to suppress the will of the Irish people. And as I said, there's no other country in the world that has has emerged from anti-colonial struggle mm. that would celebrate. The deeds of their oppressors. Well, the government says it's not to it's not to celebrate anything uh, in relation to the RIC. Out of how out of touch Fine Gael are with her revisionism. You know, they're trying to say, you know, to say it's 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 both sides and all that sort of thing. Mm. There's, it's it's unheard of in any other country that they would do that. It's just unheard of, and it just shows how out of touch. That they are. Well, they say that it's just raw. Well, they say it's to say that they they would say that they want to recognise the blood that was shed by human beings and Irish-born human beings on streets of Ireland. Uh, but uh, you're going to protest that. Why are you going to protest that when you didn't protest the commemoration of the British soldiers who were killed during the Rising? Well, in particular. If you look back to 100 years ago when the War of Independence was raging, the RIC and the Black and Tans pillaged, murdered and burnt out communities right across this country. You know, that was in their attempt to enforce the rule of the British Well, you're not, you're not suggesting that the British Army were saints in comparison to the no, RIC. No, not at all. And so so would, why, why, why are you protesting a commemoration of the RIC uh, and not of uh, the British Army? Well... The RIC had a particular brutal role, not that the British Army didn't either, but in this case, it's just the insensitivity of the whole thing, 
of including the RIC, the DMP and the Black and Tans because they were all, all as one, they acted as one and their role was to suppress the will of the Irish people and with a brutal, with a brutal, brutal regime and that's why. And it just shows you that, you know, with the, the, the reaction it has got from the people across Ireland, you know, there's every, in every single county in Ireland, elderly people will still pass on the stories of the Black and Tans and the RIC, you know, to their, to their um, children and their children's children. And that's how raw it is. And that's just, you know, the, the reaction. That's how it got the reaction it did from people right across the state. Okay, I'm sure we'll hear more before the 17th. We'll leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Sinn Féin TD in Loud, the Melda Monster. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now back uh, to the plight that five contract cleaners have found themselves in uh, who had been working with Indaver Ireland uh, and lost uh, their jobs or had their jobs replaced uh, by somebody else when the company uh, they were working for lost uh, the contract for cleaning services with Endeavour. Uh, and uh, the new company that took over uh, didn't take on these people. Uh, in line with uh, the contract, uh, let's talk about this uh, with some local councillors now. Sharon Kogan, an independent councillor, and Stephen McKee of Fianna Fáil. Good morning to both of you and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, before I ask you to comment on this, uh, I should uh, say that we have actually received a statement from Indaver Ireland. Uh, we were quite uh, amazed uh, that they had not made a statement in relation to this up to yesterday, but yesterday afternoon they did issue a statement which said that Indiver is aware of an issue that has arisen regarding one of our service providers, given that the individuals at the centre of this dispute are not Indiver employees. We cannot further comment. Uh, what do you make of that, Stephen McKee? Well, it's very disappointing, Michael, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, it, it's absolutely devastating for, 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 for these five workers and their families to have this uncertainty hanging over them, um, particularly, well, any time of the year, but particularly over Christmas and a new year. I met with the five workers over Christmas and I, I stood in solidarity with them uh, at the gates of Endeavour um, when they were due to go back to work on the 2nd of January. I think it's very disappointing um, that um, up until, as I said, I, I, I wasn't aware that Endeavour had made a statement there this morning, but I mean, the, the workers have had no contact whatsoever from uh, either Indaver, um, GSA, or the the new contractor, and it's certainly been treated very shoddily. Mm. Uh, well, they're saying basically it's not our problem. Well, I mean, I can't see how it isn't our problem. I mean, I mean, you're, you're talking about five workers who are working on their premises, you know, mm. um, and uh, my understanding is that some of the equipment is Indaver, so Indaver certainly have a role in this. Um, and, and the workers are, are, are right and correct in asserting their rights under the, the EU two-pay regulations. Um, and there was a precinct set over two years ago for at least two of those employees when uh, GSA took up the contract. So um, my understanding is that all five workers um, would have rights under the two-pay regulation to continue their employment with the new contractor. And that is what I would be hoping is what would happen. OK, GSA was uh, the original employer that's been uh, taken over by Alan Smith Cleaning Services. Uh, and uh, the 2P regulations that you refer to is uh, European uh, Directive, uh, the Transfer of Undertakings Directive. And uh, it says on the WRC site, uh, to repeat this once again on the programme, a transfer of undertakings occurs when a business or part of a business is taken over by 
by another employer as a result of a merger or transfer. When a transfer takes place, there is a legal obligation on the new employer to take on the existing staff of the business or the part of the business concerned. Uh, The WRC website also says that an employee may not be dismissed solely by reason of the transfer. Uh, Sharon Kilgan, what's your take on it? Oh, good morning to you. Look, this is a... I only became aware of this just before Christmas, and unfortunately, I, I'm the, the employees concerned. Um, they weren't really uh, until they went back on January. They really didn't know what the story was. So, really, the communication um, that has been um, given to these five employees by GSA, by GSA. Let's make that let's make that point very, very clear, because these five people are employed by GSA has been absolutely terrible. So they they have not looked after these employees very very well at all. As far as I'm as far as the, the knowledge that I have in in relation to the case because I have very very little knowledge on this um is that these people were employed by GSA. GSA won a contract there with um Endeavor. Um I believe it was a, a 36 month contract and that contract was terminated before the end of period. I have no idea. Now, this is a, this is what I'm led to believe. Um, so these are obviously it, it's it's just what I I I I'm led to believe that, that the ter- the contract was terminated there, um, and that a new contract um, was won there by Alan Smith Services. Mm. Now, GSA, as far as I am concerned, are the people that need to uh, look after the five employees at this time. The, the place of work for the five employees is Endeavour. Um, Endeavour obviously have, uh, do have a role here to play as well um, because, you know, there's three parties involved in this. Um, Alan Smith is the new, has won the new contract. The two pay regulations, obviously. I, I, I am not familiar with the employment law. I'm not a lawyer. And the two pay regulations seem... He doesn't seem to believe that they, they, they are... Uh, part of the new contract and maybe that's why he hasn't taken on the, the, the five staff. Well, um, he, he issued I, a statement to that uh, effect but he didn't explain in that statement why he doesn't believe. Well, well that's that's up to Alan Smith and I'm not going to talk for Alan Smith in relation mm. to that. Well, GSA but, does believe uh, that uh, the 2P regulations uh, apply and uh, they wrote to the employees on the 20th of December stating exactly that. Well, I, I, well, I, I, I'm not familiar with that that, that particular that, that particular letter. I haven't seen that particular letter or the or, or the, the 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 letter that has been sent by GSA. But the GSA employs these five people. Their contract is with GSA, and GSA uh, are the people that the five employees must be. Um, looked after. They, they must okay, look and after there, there is exactly the issue that is in dispute. Uh, the five yeah. people that we're talking pl- about were employed under a, a contract that GSA had with Endeavour. Uh, and, and that got terminated. Uh, that got terminated. Uh, uh, yes, early, but, but that, that contract has transferred to Alan Smith. Uh, and really? And that well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. The argument that yes, if a if a if a contract. No, look, at, I, I'm not a lawyer, but if no, a I'm not a lawyer either. But what I'm telling you, the argument is, is that the that the GSA is suggesting that that contract transferred to Alan Smith uh, and is therefore covered by the transfer of undertakings. Yeah, yeah but uh, Michael, but, it, but but is but is that the same contract? 
you know, wa- was that part of the contract? Was the two pay conditions part well, of the clean, new contract? They're, 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 they're cleaning end of her. So, yeah, but well, it's the same job. You don't, know, but you see, we don't know. I don't know part. I mean, and to be quite honest, it's really, it's really, it's really bad for any of us to be talking about this issue because we don't know the terms and conditions of the contract. So, to, uh, and is it the same contract? Are the different terms and conditions within the new contract? We don't know that. Okay, that's so, the, the, the bottom line. Uh, I'm sure there's is, a lot of truth. That is the bottom line. Well, so there I is. Don't a, there's well, well, there's a lot of truth in that. But what we do know, uh, Stephen McKee, is uh, that. Uh, some of uh, these people have been working cleaning Indiver for eight years and today they're and out of a job. that is terribly sad. It's terribly yeah, sad. Well, let's see if McKay come in there. Sorry, I beg your pardon. And by all accounts, Michael, they've done an excellent job over that time. Mm. I mean, I think the, the, the bottom line is that GCA, GSA lost the contract here and, 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 and the key point is they actually wrote out to the, the employees and informed them that they should automatically transfer to the new contractor under Toupay. You know, and under, look, I, I'm not a legal person myself, but my understanding is from having read about it is that there's a legal obligation on the new employer to take on those contracted workers. You know, now, I, I know that um, legal representation has been sought for those workers. And look, I, I have to be careful what I say as well, because mm-hmm. there will be legal case here, no doubt, in, in this situation. But my understanding is that there's an obligation for those uh, workers to continue on their paid work in Endeavour and Endeavour have responsibility too because these workers are working on their premises um, and they have a role to play here too. Mm. But, but also, I mean, you know, I mean, it's all to do about the, the contract and we don't know the terms and conditions of that contract. We don't know whether any assets have been transferred between the two companies um, and, you know, if these people have been let, let uh, have, have, have not been too paid over, then G, uh, GSA um, have to look after these employments in re- with regard to either redundancy or to find them uh, alternative employment. Mm-hmm. They are employed by GSA. Now, I look, I am no lawyer here. I am no employment law lawyer. Mm. I, I'm just looking at it from and learning about Toupé uh, over the last couple of days and mm. the last the last week. I even, you know, I wasn't familiar with the legislation. I'm trying to familiar, familiarise myself to it. I, I'm very, very sorry for, mm. for the, the people that have actually lost their jobs there. They're caught, they're caught in... Well, that's it, the one thing that both of you agree on, isn't it? I, I mean, that, that these is, yeah, that the, the, the five people absolutely concerned shocking. can't be left high and dry. You're, you're saying, Sharon no, Kogan... They, sh- they shouldn't, Michael. And, mm. and, 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 you know, the same situation arose over two years ago for mm. at least two of those employees when GCA, GSA actually took up the contract from a previous contractor. Mm. So the previous... Yeah, but the previous contractors may have had... May have had uh, uh, within within their their contract, a two pay a two pay regulation uh, uh, put into put into their contract. Yeah, I don't know. But but, 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 at the heart of, but at the heart of this is at the heart of this is the five employees and Sharon Kogan. You're saying if they weren't entitled to be two paid over or transferred over or, or employed by the new contractor, if you like, uh, well then they should have got redundancy from their original uh, original employer. And Stephen McKee, you're saying uh, if uh, they uh, didn't get uh, redundancy from their original employer. They should have been transferred over to the new contractor. Absolutely, and and, and that's my understanding. But only, but only if it's part of the terms and conditions of the, the of the contract. But it's one the or the other, isn't it? But, but wait a minute. As far as I'm aware, their GSA contract was terminated. I mean, look, I'm told, I, I, and, and this is only what, what I'm hearing, and uh, allegedly that this that their their contract was terminated early. Now. You know, we don't know why that termination took place. I don't know why that termination took place. I don't know why that 
contract was terminated. And it really, it, it, it's not nice to be sitting here talking about uh, companies that we know very, very little about, the termination of a contract or was the con- why the contract mm. was terminated early and why, um, they, obviously, they, they had to go to tender and, and uh, was, was the new uh, tendering system, was to pay um, part of that tendering system? Uh, you know, because he would have had to factor in uh, to pay, uh, you know, the, the, the pay that those people were were getting uh, currently. Mm. So, uh, with the new contract, uh, so like, uh, it, 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 to be quite honest, it is a minefield. It is some. It I mean, is Thomas Bourne was on. Yep, Thomas yep. Bourne. Thomas Bourne. Yeah. It was on yesterday morning talking about talking about this is Thomas's field. Thomas Bourne was a, was a, a solicitor previously, and um, they did right going to Thomas. Thomas. Thomas is the man that's got mm. got the knowledge in relation to employment law, or you would think he had. So you know. So. Yeah, and I mean, Thomas Byrne. I, 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 Thomas I'm, Byrne. I'm not a lawyer. Okay, Tom, I'm not a lawyer. Okay. But that's all I can say. Th- Thomas Byrne mentioned uh, some of uh, the assets involved, the equipment that's uh, involved in cleaning yeah. Endeavour, and uh, you well, mentioned you know. mentioned that as well, Stephen McKee. Well, we well, don't know. Well, well, I mean, well, my understanding is some equipment belonged to Endeavour, and that, I mean, that automatically uh, you know involves them in 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 the, pro- the very fact that the workers are actually working on their premises as well. But so the basic question is: Is the employment law being complied with? is the question that needs to be answered. And I know we're uh, trying to secure um, legal representation at the moment for those five workers. And look, it's, it's, it's devastating for the workers and their families, you know, and, and we have to keep that in mind. And um, look, all day, I, I mean, we're looking, we're talking about a company, a massive company here in Dever who, you know, who are in the community and, and um, you know, have a community responsibility uh, and have a major role in the community. And I think, you know, that they need to... Um, they need to do more here as well, you know, and um, and I'm not certainly not past the book here. I mean, it's a, there's, there's a few parties involved here, Endeavour, GSA, obviously new contractor as well. I want to see those workers, um, at the very least, get redundancy, but ideally return to employment where they've worked for up to eight years in some okay. cases. And All right. Yeah, yeah well, exceptional role. Yeah, so, I have to leave so, it there. Sorry, I mean, look, I mean, I, I, to be quite honest then, and that's why I'm reluctant even to mention Endeavour on, on this particular issue. GSA employed five people to, ta- to, to clean mm. to, with a cleaning contract that they, ha- they had. I'm not aware of the, the conditions and the terms and conditions okay. of the new contract. Right. And if any assets have been transferred, tangible assets have been transferred uh, as part of that contract. And that's why if no assets have been transferred, as in no equipment or anything like that has been mm. transferred to the new provider, then unfortunately... Um, the, the buck stops with GSA and they're entitled to redundancy those five people. And okay. um, I'm really, really, it's really an, an unfortunate situation. It's one that I, I would have loved to sort of not be airing on, on the airwaves this morning in relation to the three companies concerned. Um, but well, you know what, I certainly hope, I hope it gets resolved. As both of you said, there's five people at the centre of it. Uh, Absolutely, uh, I know that. Yeah. Okay, and we leave it there. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. That's uh, Sharon Kogan, an independent councillor and Fianna Fáil councillor Stephen McKee. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Fiona Kerr of Navin Station joins us for the report this week. And we begin in Drumconrath with a robbery. 
morning, Michael. Um, on Thursday last, the 2nd of January, at approximately 8.45pm, a robbery took place at the Excel Top Garage in Drumconrath, County Meath. Um, two raiders entered the shop. One of them had what appeared to be a handgun, and he threatened the shop assistant to hand over the two tills, which were placed in a bag and carried from the scene by the second raider. Now, we don't have any description of the two men in question, just that they were wearing gloves, balaclavas, and had Dublin accents. So this was a serious incident, uh, which was very frightening for those involved, and the Gardaí and Navin are looking for our listeners' help this morning to try and progress this investigation. So just to recap, this robbery took place at the Excel Top Garage in Drumconrath, County Meath, on Thursday the 2nd of January, around 8.45pm. So if anyone was in the vicinity and remember seeing anything unusual or any vehicles that were acting suspiciously, to please contact the Gardaí and Navin with their information. OK, we go to County Louth next, and a burglary that occurred in Blackrock. Yes, on Monday the 30th of December between 6 and 6.30pm at Hamilton Mews, Rock Road in Black Rock. A burglary took place. Uh, three youths were seen fleeing from the scene. They got into a small hatchback car which had a damaged exhaust. They left Hamilton Mews and turned left onto Rock Road. So there's no better or further description of the vehicle but someone may recall noticing a damaged exhaust on a small hatchback car on the day or days leading up to the burglary. And Guardian and Black Rock are keen to ascertain who these youths are and would appreciate the public's help if they have any information. OK, we've uh, a theft to report on next from a van in Kinnegad. That's right. Uh, from approximately 8pm uh, on Wednesday the 18th of December to 3.30am on the 19th of December. The van owner in this instance discovered that his van had been opened and seven new bikes had been stolen. There were seven Merida bicycles of various colours and the total value of the items stolen was of significant loss to the owner. So if anyone listening was offered a bicycle for uh, sale in unusual circumstances and fitting this description or has any information regarding this theft to make contact with Longwood or Trim Gardaí. Uh, another burglary to report on. Uh, this one occurred in Dundalk. Yes, on Saturday the 21st of December between the hours of 3 and 4am a burglary took place at Toolfix, Echo Road, Dundalk. Seven Milwaukee toolkits were taken which again were of significant value and the CCTV available showed four males entering the property and then leaving with the items. So if anyone was out on maybe the Friday night before Christmas and was in the vicinity of Echo Road in Dundalk at approximately 3 to 4am on the 21st and saw anything unusual, perhaps a car with a number of occupants acting suspiciously, to get in touch with the Gardaí in Dundalk. OK, we're in our day next and a report of an attempted theft. Yes, in the early hours of Saturday the 21st of December, shortly before 5am, Gardaí were alerted to an ATM robbery in progress at the Ulster Bank in RD. Their access was blocked by a tractor and a low loader, so the Gardaí proceeded on foot towards the bank. They then saw that a digger had smashed the wall of the Ulster Bank where the ATM machine was located, and by then the culprits had already left the scene. As this is a very serious incident, the Gardaí would appreciate any information the public might have regarding this uh, attempted robbery, and the Gardaí in RD are investigating, or if people prefer, they can use the Garda confidential line on 1-800-666-111. All right, and we might repeat uh, that number for you in uh, the next couple of minutes, but we'll conclude uh, the report uh, this week with another burglary in Dundalk. Yeah, in the early hours of Friday the 3rd of January at Euro Car Parts, Aiken Business Park on Coes Road in Dundalk, a burglary occurred. Four males broke into the premises here and stole a number of tools which were subsequently recovered by Gardaí. The CCTV available showed all four men wearing gloves, balaclavas and so we've no further description available. 
Therefore, Gardaí and Dundalk, who are investigating this incident, would welcome any information and that the public might have. And just to recap, it occurred between 2am and 4am on the morning of Friday the 3rd of January at Euro Car Parts in Aiken Business Park, Coase Road, Dundalk. And finally, if I could just take this opportunity to, on behalf of the Gardaí in Louth and Meath to wish all your listeners a very happy and peaceful New Year. Thank you indeed. Garda Fiona Kerr of Navin Garda Station will return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. And just to remind you of uh, that Garda confidential phone number, it's 1-800-666-111. Now, in the little time that we have left, let's go back to some of the many comments that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Marie has come back into us. What else have I you have indeed. Today, John from Navin uh, says he was listening into Father Sean Healy yesterday talking about housing and the housing problems and then today the discussion about the health service nobody thought of mentioning that there are 40,000 extra people coming into the country every year we have thousands of workers coming into work here and then we have refugees as well if there are 40,000 extra people to be housed every year you are running to stand still Michael it's the same in the health service and John thinks the only thing that will solve the problem is another recession because then people would be flying out of the country and there would be plenty <laughs> okay, of houses. Suppose, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's his thoughts okay, on that. some logic in that, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deirdre mm-hmm. from Kell says that in relation to the hospital situation that uh, they saw this coming down the line, Michael, there's a problem every year in relation to demand for hospital beds mm. at this time of year. And why is there not an emergency plan in place? What about having one major place where people who have the flu are sent to so they're not taking up hospital yeah. beds? Well, I probably think it's probably a bit fair to say that they saw it coming down the line. Uh, it was in front of their face, in actual fact, and it just gets worse year on year. But uh, uh, we understand the point, having said that, and it has to be the last point on the programme today because our time has run out in us once again. Thanks for that, Marie, and Thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. Remember, if you'd like to listen back to today's programme, there'll be a podcast available on our website, lmfm.ie, later this afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Murray in the control term. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.